This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. Wherever you happen to be, it's a wonderful Sunday morning. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. We are running a half hour behind our normal schedule. I had an early morning meeting, but uh, here I am. So uh, just for those of you joining me here live on Instagram and here on Pet Life Radio, a couple of ways to get a hold of me, the good old fashioned way, the phone, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, you can join me here live on Pet Life Radio, you go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and there'll be a link, a Zoom link left for you there. You can join us live with your pets. Kind of think about it as telemedicine, and that's exactly how we do it on telemedicine. You're sitting there live on the phone with your pet, and we're talking about your pet. So as many of you know, I like to, uh, to get things started with perusing the news. The second half of the show, I have something very interesting and kind of disturbing that I'm going to share with you. And I want to, uh, I'd love your feedback as to what you think and, and the experiences you've had in a similar situation, because this one was really, really bad. So anyway, this was pretty cool. The Denver Zoo just created, just built a new 22,000 square foot hospital facility with cameras all over the place. So you could be sort of viewing live while the veterinarians and the veterinary staff are working with these zoo animals, and that will be explaining all of the procedures, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And uh, I think that is really cool. So if you happen to be going to Denver and you have time to go to the Denver Zoo, this would really be cool. It's real. It's live action. And I did uh, behind the scenes. It's kind of like being behind the scenes. And I did this when I was at uh, Disney Animal Kingdom, which was really great. And also a facility in Phoenix that has something really cool where I got to go behind the scenes and interact with the doctors. And um, first of all, I don't do the, the exotic, although I did work on some big cats when I was in Berkeley, but they're amazing. I just love it. And um, anyway, Denver Zoo, think about it. So this is also is interesting is that Vermont, the state of Vermont is distributing 450,000 oral rabies vaccines to wild animals that have been creating some problem with rabies, mostly raccoons and skunks. And the only thing we want to make sure is that they're delivered is treats because it's like the old salt vaccine. And if you don't remember, that, but back in the day, we used to get our polio vaccine that was in a sugar cube. We got to eat a sugar cube. That was pretty cool. And then uh, that had the vaccine in it. So, but anyway, it's a vaccine. So it's attenuated. I mean, it won't cause rabies. But if you are happen to be walking your dog in Vermont and you see oh, something that looks like a, a bait of food, leave it for the skunk or the raccoon. Don't have your dog eat it. But uh, I mean, when you think about it, that's a great way to actually reach this many animals. 450,000 doses. That's tremendous. That's huge. Oh, this is really cool also. that the, It's called the Pima Animal Shelter. It is in Tucson, Arizona. It's one of two shelters. They're participating in a study comparing stress levels of shelter dogs versus dogs that are in foster care. So they measured stress levels in dogs that are at the shelters. And within sometimes hours, hours after going into a foster home, and certainly they follow them for a week, they basically, the stress levels in these dogs dropped considerably, like tremendously. So that goes to show you the 
dogs don't really want to be in shelters. If they, if you can get them into a home environment. So for those of you out there, even if you can't like adopt a dog permanently, but you can provide some foster care until that dog can be adopted, it's better off in a home setting than it is in a cage in a shelter where there's no attention, there's no affection. And as you hear all the other dogs bark, it really does stress them out. And here's proof. And there have been prior studies this. And um, one of the first studies they did actually showed that the stress levels began to subside after within the first night in foster care. I mean, when you think about it, that if that isn't reason enough to go out and adopt a dog, then I don't know what is, but uh, that is, is, it's unbelievable. And also there are some things, this is good for those of you who, whose dogs have lumps and bumps. And this is kind of what's going to lead me into what I want to talk about in the second uh, part of the show. But veterinarians have a growing arsenal to treat lumps and bumps. So basically what we're saying is we're learning a lot more about them, which ones are serious, which ones aren't. As advice from a veterinarian to you, pet parents, is you should be petting your pets regularly not just for the affection, not just for the fact that it brings stress down to them. And we know also scientifically, it brings down your stress as well, but also to feel for lumps and bumps. Because some of the, depending on where they are, what they are, what they feel like, how attached they are, we can learn a lot. We can do what's called cytology. And uh, that is where we aspirate. It's called the FNA, a fine needle aspiration, and take some of those cells and put them on a microscope slide and look at them and determine the type of tumor. There is an advantage to that. That's another subject I want to get to at some point in the future as to when to do FNAs versus when to just remove the lump and get a full biopsy. Because a fine needle aspirate is not nearly as accurate because when you're sticking that needle into a lump, you are, it's like that needle in the haystack you may not be getting representative samples. And then you're going to get a report back saying all the cells are normal, or you get a lot of these inconclusive. The way the pathologists work best is when you give them a chunk of tissue. Well, then there's a whole discussion, which I'd love to get into at some point, when to do an FNA and why versus when to just take off the darn lump and take it from there. So that's a, a subject for the future. But there are, as I said, cytology versus surgical biopsy versus surgical removal. And it's a great subject matter. I'm going to save as a teaser for you because I really want you to learn this because I feel, and I know this is a terrible thing to say, but it's the same thing that's going to lead me to my, our segment in the, in the second uh, part of the show is that not all veterinarians share the, what I would consider is the practical, more beneficial philosophy. And I see a lot of cases where the clients spend money on an FNA and then they got to go in anyway. And they would have done surgery even if they knew it was benign. It's like, then why do an FNA? Let's go straight to surgery. Anyway, another story, another, another, another story for another time. So this is also interesting. Two related, uh, we talk about fleas. Okay, we know that fleas called FAD, flea allergy dermatitis, and they're a nuisance. And sometimes they get really hungry and sometimes they bite us but it's bad for your dogs and they can deliver tapeworms. But there, here, these two stories show there are more to fleas that we should be worried about. First of all, chipmunks in South Lake Tahoe tested positive for plague. And fleas and rodents carry, it's the Yersinia pestis. Yersinia pestis is the actual organism that causes quote unquote plague. It's a bacterium and that causes the plague. Like I just said, it's coming from fleas. So and plague affects people too. So there's more fear, there should be, about fleas. That's why you want to get fleas taken care of in your pets, because you don't know where those fleas came from. A lot of times they're sand fleas. A lot of times the cat fleas jump on the dog. But 
anyway, or vice versa. And so when you're ever, you're out walking, hiking, and you see you pick up fleas, your dog picks up fleas, you want to be careful. And the second related story is that there were two women in Monrovia, California, for some reason, South Lake Tahoe, California, Monrovia, California, maybe you should not come to California, but they contacted typhus from a dead rat. And also the fleas that are on these rats can carry typhus. So that's why, again, using these anti-parasitics are so important because you want to control these fleas, not just because of you, your pet, obviously, but because of you, because these diseases are what we call zoonotic diseases. Zoonotic diseases are diseases that we can get from our pets or our animals. So um, zoonoses is how we look at. So rabies, for example, that's a classic example of a zoonotic disease because we get it from animals and uh, it could kill us. Anyway, just so you know. And um, before we go on a break, I wanted to share another great story. We, we talked about this a while, that some of us like tilapia because it's a good tasting fish. All right. Makes great fish tacos, by the way. But what also is great about tilapia is that tilapia skin and other fish skin, as a matter of fact, have been used to treat burn cases where these animals get badly burned. And this is a story, a veterinarian named Brooks Terrell basically sutured bandages made of fish skin, he's usually tilapia, on a four-month-old puppy that was badly burned, the right side of the face and the head, and the, uh, basically, and the body as well. And the, the omega fatty acids in fish skin allows for quicker healing and also has like an antiseptic property. So what it does is it keeps the area really clean. It provides good omega-3 fatty acids, omega-6 fatty acids. So it's, it's really good for the healing process. And animals that have been using these fish skins for burn cases has been, the, the results have been amazing. So I know they're using it in people too, by the way, but it's, uh, it's really cool stuff. And um, anyway, when we come back, I want to share with you, I serve as a an expert witness, kind of a consultant for some animal attorneys. These are attorneys that will there for animal protection. And I want to share this story because it was found it very disturbing to me as a veterinarian. And I realized that you guys, pet parents, don't always know this stuff, nor should you. It's our job to educate you. And we, when we don't, it could be disastrous. So when we come back, we're going to tell you about the story, what happened, and at least I want to alert you and give you a little fodder, food for fodder to think about what you have the right to do and you should know, especially in an emergency situation. So don't go away. We'll be back right after these short messages. So I just want to tell you about a company that I came across and I really think what they do is great. Carlson Pet Products. Very, very affordable. The company specializes in creating pet safety products to keep your pet happily protected from the puppy stage through their senior years. They have a variety of products. They have pet pens, they have foldable elevated beds, crates, pet gates. I mean, all phenomenal stuff. Their pet gates I love because basically they fit any size opening in your home. And most of the gates also have like a walk-through door. It's a small door for your pet to pass through without having to remove the whole gate. So it's really, really cool. Look them up, carlsonpetproducts.com. Get a 25% discount and free shipping if you use the promo code PETLIFE, P-E-T-L-I-F-E. Check them out. You're going to love them. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. 
Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. All right, welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff. We're over here at Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. So I work as a consultant, sometimes expert witness for a couple of animal attorneys. I would say many of my cases are dog bite related but I also get some veterinary care issues. And this one I found so disturbing. I found it disturbing just hearing the story of what happened. Then I read the transcripts and I am shocked and appalled. So um, basically a woman brings her prized dog, it's a, a Rottweiler, in because it was bitten by another dog. And in the transcript, it says that the bite wound was superficial. It was the skin and some of the fat. It did not go down deep to the muscle. It was oozing a little blood, but it was not bleeding. And um, it was at 7 o'clock p.m. And they proceeded to anesthetize the dog and to sew up the wound. And that right there got me to started because in the transcript, there was no mention, no question from the doctor at 7 o'clock in the evening, all right, what might this dog have just done within the few hours prior to 7 p.m.? How about eat? Well, I'm sure you know, you've been told, I'm sure your pets have had surgery before. And the one thing the doctor tells you is no food or water after midnight the night before. Maybe a little water is okay, but no food. The woman was not even asked. The doctor never even asked, seven o'clock, I need to anesthetize your dog or I want to anesthetize your dog. Well, has your dog been fed in the last couple of hours? Never asked. And the owner didn't know to mention it because if she never had her dog in a situation like that, then she's not going to know. So then it gets worse. We have a little, in my opinion, and I've already checked with a couple of emergency room docs, there are bite wounds and there are bite wounds. We typically do not like to sew bite wounds right away. Why? Because when you have bite wounds, you have the potential for deeper infection. If you sew up the skin, which heals up in a couple of days, all right, and then the infection below is brewing, then you end up with a huge abscess. What typically we do is we will clean the wound very well, unless it's gaping, unless it's actively pouring blood, we will treat it as an open wound at first for a few days, start the antibiotics, have the owner compress or bandage it depending on where it is on the body. And then when everything is good and it, we pretty much know that it's not going to turn into a wicked infection, then sew it up. So, so the two things that disturb me the most is, first of all, this animal that was never asked, did the dog eat? And it was a wound that didn't even need to be sewn right away. It could have waited. There was no reason to do it. Well, 
when questioned, and the this attorney, who's obviously an animal lawyer, she knows a lot about what the typical treatment should be, what is appropriate and inappropriate. And when asked, did you ever discuss this with the owner? Did you bite? She was, here was the answer, uh, transcript. Well, no, they come to us for an emergency. So if, if it's here in our hospital as an emergency, we treat it as an emergency. It's like, time out. Don't you throw your own two cents in? Don't you say to the client, hmm, Mrs. Smith, I know this looks pretty bad, but this is not an emergency. We're going to treat it conservatively. We're going to want to make sure you explain to her. All right. Doesn't do that. Now that now I'm really getting upset about the way this case was handled. Now let's take it to the next level. They ended up anesthetizing a dog. You have a dog that you didn't even ask if it ate, but I would do this anyway. A hundred percent of our animals that are down enough to be intubated. I'm not talking about a little mild tranquilizer. I'm talking about anesthetized. You put an endotracheal tube down this throat for a number of reasons. First of all, it gives you an airway. Second thing we always do before even that is we make sure we have an IV catheter in place. Because when you have an animal that crashes, for whatever reason, it could be no one's fault other than something poop happens. And sometimes you have an animal that might have a bad reaction to something. You need a vein and you need it fast. But when they're crashing, what happens? Their blood pressure goes down. And now you're in a rush. You're panicking and you can't find a vein. So every animal that's going to be sedated has to have a catheter already in place for these emergencies. And an animal that's going to be anesthetized, regardless of the mode of anesthesia, even if we're not using what we call an inhalational anesthesia, just an injectable anesthesia, and there are some good ones out there and safe, but you have to have a tube down the throat and that provides you an airway. Also what it does, it provides some protection against what we call aspiration. What does that mean? Well, if you're going to anesthetize a dog that had eaten in the last several hours, there's a good chance that that animal might vomit. And what happens to the food when they're anesthetized? When they vomit, they suck it right into the lungs, goes down the trachea into the lungs. And now we have something called aspiration pneumonia. But if the endotracheal tube is in place, then that sort of protects. They could still vomit, but the vomitus can't get down past the tube. And there's a cuff that you blow up that makes a seal around the tube and the trachea. So that food is not going to go into the lungs. So did this veterinarian intubate? No. Did this veterinarian put a catheter in place? No. Did this veterinarian actually even ask the owner, when was this dog last fed? I know it's evening time. You know, we've got to be very careful. No. Why? When asked why, she was, well, because she came in as an emergency. We have to treat it as an emergency. No, you don't. They're not the doctor. They don't know. They don't have the brains. They don't have the experience. You do. You're the one that's supposed to educate them, not just do whatever they say. Oh my God. So I'm reading this and I'm starting to fume. Then, so we have this dog, a prized, magnificent Rottweiler, now aspirates, and do they take an x-ray right away to see how bad it is? No. It vomits again later. Do they take an x-ray then? No. A third time. Do they it wasn't until the fourth time it vomited. Now, blood is coming out of the dog's nose, and the dog is struggling to breathe and is labored breathing. We call it strider. And they finally now take an x-ray, and sure enough, major pneumonia, aspiration pneumonia. And only then do they send it to a real critical care facility, not just a, a hospital that says, oh, we're open 24-7, but they send it to a place that has oxygen cages, and they can actually put stuff down the throat and suck out the debris out of the lungs and actually provide real, real care in an emergency situation, something it should have done after the first vomitus, the first time to be careful. And nothing like this was done. So P.S., obviously what made me so upset, well, 
the whole thing made me upset. But what really got me, of course, the dog died. And that is for a, for a superficial little minor bite wound because of some veterinarian was so hungry to take money and do something that wasn't necessary instead of saying, you know what, that dog's life is way more important than my wallet. And the answers were so in the, the transcript. What? It wasn't just what happened. That's terrible. But to hear the answers, read what she said. Oh, no, well, that's just what we do. We don't do it. When someone comes in emergency, we just treat it as an emergency. And why didn't you take an x-ray? Why didn't you? Well, because we don't do that unless we thought it was necessary. We know, has this happened a lot for you? She goes, no, but it does happen. Well, if it does happen, then you should be prepared. Even if it never happened to you, you're lucky. It happened to me, but dogs can aspirate. Dogs can vomit. I've had clients, we ask, and they say, no, no, didn't have breakfast, didn't have eaten since last night. And all of a sudden when they vomit, a whole clump of food comes up. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for really being so specific about when they last ate. But fortunately, they had an endotracheal tube in their mouth, so nothing happened. But oh my God, this stuff just drives me bananas. So a couple of things just to learn from this, and that is don't be bashful. You should know that anytime sedation is needed, Animals should be anesthetized, all right, on an empty stomach. So you can ask, ask them. Even if they say, well, ask what kind of anesthesia? If it's going to be an inhalational anesthesia, of course they have to have a tube down the throat. But if they're using an injectable anesthesia, and there's some good safe ones out there, say, you're still going to have a tube down the dog's throat for airway. And if they say no, say, I demand it, I want it. Um, do you put catheters into all your dogs that are undergoing any kind of sedation? Do you realize one of our greatest you know, sedatives for short procedures, uh, we call it dextomotorin antecedent, dextomotonidine. And it's great. But you know what it does? It takes a heart rate and drops it down to like 30 instead of being you know, 90 or 100. Down to 30. All of a sudden, you're listening to this poor dog and it's ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. And I mean, it's scary. I mean, I remember the first time I used it, I started giving the dog atrophy because I said, oh my God, but that's what it does. So it lowers the blood pressure. Blood pressure is so low that you cannot find a vein. And it's good for short procedures. It's safe. And the beauty is it can be reversed. So as soon as you're done, you give it another shot called antecedent. And literally it's like, it's almost instant. And they start going crazy again. I mean, not crazy. They start being normal again. But even still, it's something that you need to know. So don't be shy. Try to get some information. And it is okay to challenge your veterinarian. It is okay to ask, is this really necessary? What, would you do this for your own dog? All right. And weigh the pros and the cons. You know, I love my veterinarian. Can this way, can we just clean this up? And I, I just, uh, just want to make sure it's not too serious and have my vet sewed up tomorrow or the next day, whatever. So here we have a four or five-year-old magnificent dead dog because some veterinarian did not really follow standards of care. And that really makes me annoyed. So there I am again on my soapbox, which I'm allowed because no one's paying me to be here. So uh, anyway, so um, if you have any questions or things like that or things that have happened to you, I, I kind of really need to know. I, this is the kind of stuff I love to share with my audience because the, sometimes they need to be educated and their own veterinarians aren't usually the ones that are doing it. They should, but they're not. So uh, I'm going to feel, I'm going to take that on responsibility gladly to help you guys out. Anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vet. Thanks for joining me here live on my Instagram. And um, if you have any other questions or anything during the week, uh, you can always reach me a number of ways. Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com on my Instagram, Jeff at AirVet.com. You can figure it out. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Have a great week, everybody. And we will uh, be here next week. Not, I would say same time. No, no. Back to our regular nine o'clock in the West and noon in the East and anything in between. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets every week on demand 
only on PetLifeRadio.com.